So welcome to ANC. Happy Mother's Day, y'all. Man, such enthusiasm. Let's hope you work that out on the grill later. Um, I'm always reminded on Mother's Day, on Father's Day, but Mother's Day, um, how Mother's Day is a bittersweet day. So let's just hold for a second the tension of how bitter and difficult this day is for those who have begged God for, uh, in some cases, decades to be blessed with a child. And so if it's helpful for you um, to sometimes remind yourself of ways that God has blessed you, uh, if you are a mother, just thank God for that. Thank God for that. It's a, it is a rich an ancient and amazing and life-encompassing blessing. It's one of those prayers that we pray so hard for, and then we think, Why did I, what was I thinking? Uh, I don't know. I'm not a mom, but certainly as a dad. But um, reach out today to those in your life who are moms, but also those who are not. And, so, and just, just be sensitive of that. Does that make sense? Can you sit with that? I don't want to rain on your parade today. We all have a mom, but not all, mom, not all women are blessed in this way. So um, just thought I would mention that. So we are now in what we call ordinary time. So Lent and Advent are the two great seasons of the church that prepare us for either the birth of Christ or the resurrection of Christ. And we are now in the part of the year that we call ordinary time or mean time, depending on your tradition. All that really means is that we're not really marching towards a particular uh, event. Uh, We're just kind of working our way through the summer. And so I thought it would be a great time to start a three-week series that I'm going to title The Answers in Front of Us. And so if you can catch the title, you can skip the three, the three sermons because you already know what I'm going to talk about and where we're going to go. Did you ever read a book title that says it all in the title? And you're like, the book was a waste, but the title was good. <laughs> There's a book that Dan Allender wrote. I hope he's not listening. He won't be. Uh, the name of the book is uh, Leading with a Limp, and the title is so much better than the book. It's just a great example. Sorry, Dan. Um, he won't be listening to us, little podunk ratchet church in South Austin. He's a big timer. But the title is amazing. So my title for this is The Answers in Front of Us. I've been asking myself this question as we enter into ordinary time, and here's the question. Where are we struggling as a church? Uh, what are we looking for individually, but, but more importantly, corporately? What, where are we, essentially? What do we need? What are we looking at? What are we missing? What are we yearning for? What are we seeking? You know, it's sad to, to never find what you're looking for, but far sadder still is to find that person whose answer was in front of them all along and they never found it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can your mind add an image to that thought? It's sad to never find your answer, but it's far sadder still to have it right in front of you and never see it. So we're going to talk through a couple of important things in the next three weeks. We're going to talk about relationships today. Next week, we're going to talk about marriage. If yours is perfect, you can play hooky. It's not, so you can't. And then we're going to talk about parenting. And let me just tell you this. Dread appropriately describes how I feel related to these topics. You know why? Because I'm not an expert on any of these things. I begged the Holy Spirit to ask me to talk about anything else. I had all kinds of plans. Had, I actually had a sermon written. And I don't waste 3,000 words very often. But this is what I think the Holy Spirit is asking us to look at. The older I get, the more I believe this. All the real answers are right in front of us. Now, your mind's already applying how that, how that works in your life, and you may have some things to argue and some counterpoints, but here's what I'm believing. Here's what I think. The more I live, the more I breathe, the more I walk with Jesus, the more I realize that all the real stuff is right in front of us. It's all right there. I hope that's provocative. It's meant to be. 
The trick to finding anything is actually seeing differently. I talk about this a lot around here. Awareness is king. Awareness is everything. Learning to see what's in front of us actually takes your whole lifetime. Learning to properly, you want to talk to someone who's on their deathbed, the last few exhales that they have on this earth, they see very clearly. What, what makes that crackle? Everything is pulled away and they can see clearly. It takes us a lifetime to get there. Let me say it this way. You can travel the whole world several times over and see nothing whatsoever if you can't bring yourself, your own soul, in, in, into proper focus. You can see all there is to see and see nothing in the end if you don't see yourself. Does that make sense? You with me? Similarly, similarly, you can do everything spiritual there is to do in the world. You can be the kindest, the most righteous, the most Christ-centered person who ever drew breath and still lose if you don't find yourself. Jesus said it this way in Mark. If you gain the whole world but lose your own soul, you have gained nothing at all. This season, we have come through as a church, no mystery, we talk about it openly, has put enormous pressure on our relationships. Think of the concentric circles in which you exist. So your immediate family, some of you have moved some immediate family out of that circle. (laughs) That's awkward on Mother's Day. I'm just trying to crack a joke here, Brandon, just trying to crack a joke. But think of those concentric circles in which you exist. They have been under pressure as we have come through a season of difficulty as a church. I've seen it in my own circles. We now set Thanksgiving tables with plastic silverware. You can guess why. Nobody got that? Are you serious? Come on. Wow. But here's, here's the catch. I want to deliver some bad news this morning in the form of the gospel. So get ready for that, okay? And here's what the bad news is. What you seek, you already possess. Meaning, there is no external solve for your inner angst. Did you catch that? What you are looking for, you already have. It's a matter of seeing differently. Everything you need is within arm's reach. So hold on to that thought. Here's what I know about us. We're all seeking something. We're all on a quest. We are all hunters gathering clues and feedback where we can. And the cloud of dust that often hangs right above our head is kicked up by our frantic movement, looking and seeking and grinding and finding and trying to somehow quarry our lives from meaning. That cloud of dust that hovers over us is, 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 is surrounding us because there is a pervasive loneliness and relational isolation from the very people God has put in our own families. I think oftentimes our parting thought as we lay down at night is the gap between the people that are around us and how isolated I even feel from the people that I do life with. Sometimes it's a spouse, it's family, it's parents. You fill in the gap. Relationships, full of loneliness and relational isolation, full of an almost inability to reach out and actually feel the presence of that person next to you. Genesis 2 Uh, puts this on our radar. It says, the Lord God said, thinking of all that he had just created, he says these words, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, you know what the word man means in Hebrew? Man. No, but it also means mankind. It's the generative term. It means anyone. It means mankind. It is not good for mankind to be alone, God says. I will make a suitable help for him. Now, let me add in some words here in case your mind doesn't do this already. Somehow, the immediate response of the creator to his creation is this. Loneliness is not good. For the record, it's not good for men and women. It's not good for single or married. It's not good for gay or straight. It's not good to be alone. Bottom line is what God says. Loneliness is not good. I think with the gospel, God will eventually say loneliness is not acceptable. He's going to remedy this for us. 
It runs counter to the very grain of creation. This is, think of this now, this is the one hole in God's handiwork. This is the one thing missing, and it matters for us that this gap, this hole, is built in. It's not the result of sin or our wayward disobedience. This lonely hole in our existence was put there by God to drive us home. It's a divine, built-in, operating system feature. Not funny this week, talking about operating systems, right? My wife actually opened that email. I shouldn't say that. The Google one. And then we hit 99 countries with the malware thing. Not funny, but listen to me. Here's the catch. God says it is not good for anyone to be alone, but he built it into creation for a reason. So we're going to talk over the next three weeks about relationships, about marriage, and about parenting from this angle. Here's the problem, talking about these subjects. I'm too close to you for you to be able to accept me blowing smoke at you. There's no BS in this game. You guys know me way too well. There are people in this room who know me way too well. If I come up here peddling gimmicks, it's not going to fly So that's not going to work. We're going to have to do better. The fact is I'd much rather talk about the teachings of Jesus, the role of the community of faith. I'd much rather deal with social justice or even theology that to me is amazing, that to you might be unhelpful. I'd rather talk about any of that because I can manage a few degrees of separation there, but not with this. And this is why I think the Holy Spirit is taking us here. Here's the bottom line. I'm fragile in these areas. Fragile. You know what that means? Easily implodes. Breaks easy little outside force. I'm fragile in these areas. I'm very aware of how much work I've got to do in my life to make my relationships, my marriage, and parenting good, make it better. Wherever you are fragile, wherever I am fragile, it tells us something very important. It's worth taking note of. I know our community pretty well. I know the state of our marriages. I know where our kids are. There's only two conclusions you can draw from the fact that we're a messy people. Number one, either we're uniquely broken Or number two, we're just able to be broken in the open. I think it's number two. But I know the level that we're struggling at as a congregation. Gimmicks are not helpful. What you need is examples. What we need are people to follow, examples to emulate, different choices that lead to better outcomes in the circles of our life, in the concentric circles of our life. And I'm no expert, but I've learned a few things. Here's something I've learned. There are very few bad people in the world, very few bad people, For the most part, people are doing the best they can with what they have, and I believe that. I really do. There are very few people who are out to crush you. There are very few evil people in the world, but there's a lot of fragile people who are not able to talk about that. Track with me here. People aren't all bad. They're fragile, and they defend when they're pushed into that corner. Second thing I've learned is everybody is surviving something. You don't know it. You don't, know what it, you don't know what's going on there, but everybody's surviving something. Often, the presenting characteristic on the surface of your relationship is just that. It's a survival tactic. It's not their best day. Never judge them on their worst day. It's not their virtue. It's their survival tactic, and those are serious things. People hunker down and try to survive when they feel fragile and feel cornered. It's usually one of two responses. It's either counterattack or retreat. You know what I'm talking about. Your mind's filling in the gap now. Here's another thing I've learned. The sacred domain of God is anywhere that people are doing life vulnerably and truly present to one another. That's sacred, holy ground. The real, the really honest, the truly present, the painfully vulnerable and the completely unmasked space where people do lives, that do their lives together is the most reliable place to find God alive and active. Did you catch that? I think that's true. The most reliable place to find God 
is where people are being real and honest and open. And maybe they don't have all the answers, and they're okay admitting that. And they can talk about their fragility. They can talk about the things they're afraid of. They can talk about themselves in ways that they're vulnerable. Jesus says in John 17 that this is actually how the world is going to know we are who we are, that we are his children. How? Because we love each other through these hard things. Let me say a couple of things very plainly to take a little weight off of you. Guess what? Nobody's a black belt in relationships. Nobody's a black belt in this stuff. It only seems like that from your perspective. Well, they've got it all figured out. Look at this person. Watch their life on Instagram. They've got all these friends. They've got all these people. They get a little kennel cough and somebody's bringing chicken soup. They've got it all worked out. Let me just tell you, nobody has a black belt in relationships. You're not the only one struggling to stay connected. Look at our lives. Go ahead. Name the sports your kids are in. Go ahead. Start now. We can finish by 12. Name the things. Name how many minutes you give yourself to get up and down the Mopac, right? It's going to take about 95 milligrams of caffeine to even be awake when you get to, to, to work because your life is so frenetic and it runs so much on the margins that we barely have time to breathe and we sort of know the person we're sleeping with, but we mostly only remember who they are on weekends. I wish I was describing someone else's life. That's the American way. That's what we've been told. That's what we've been told we actually want to do with ourselves, with our lives. Everyone is struggling to stay connected, and Facebook hasn't fixed it. Did you think it was going to fix it? A <laughs> couple of things. No one's a black belt in relationships. Number two, everyone generally withdraws or attacks when they feel weak and fragile. When you're over that button, that if you touch that button, they're going to implode. Everyone retreats and everyone counterattacks. It's not just you. You know, social science says that most of us can point to three or four people in our entire lives who we could say truly knew us. Do the math, over 80 years, three or four people, that's not great. That's not great performance. We can do better. We can do much better. We can live healthier than that. We can allow ourselves to actually be woven into real, robust, and resilient community that can tolerate turbulence like we have had to do recently. We can do that. We can do that if we want to. Relationships aren't complicated, but that doesn't mean they're easy. It's not rocket surgery, like a friend of mine says. Wait for it. (laughs) But it's not easy. Let's do a little quiz. Answer yes or no in your mind. Don't raise your hand. You'll embarrass yourself. Don't ever raise your hand in church. You'll always embarrass yourself. It's usually a trick. Let's do a little quiz. Are there people in your community, in this community, who know the real you? The real you. Yep, that, that thing you just chose not to think about. Do they, is there someone here that knows the real you? Someone in your community. Second question, do you have times and places where the masks come completely off and you don't feel the need to hide? Do you have that in your life? Number three, have you recently prayed to God to send you deep, soul-sustaining relationships during tough times in your life? Have you prayed that? Finally, are there relationships you currently enjoy? Are they as good as they might be? Are they as good as they could be? Can they handle the complete roll open the ball valve and let it flow you? Can they handle that? If you answered no to any of those questions, let's pay attention to what follows here. Now listen, if God could, fi- could, could, if God could be found outside of human relationships, if we could get our hands around him as individuals, if we could establish our identity and our value as individual autonomous people, then life would look very differently. And then the game is just get your head straight and live right. But that's not how it works, is it? 
It can't be. Our role, our journey, our identity as people of God, our identity as children of the Father cannot be found outside of community. We need one another to understand who we are. It's as if we define each other. We remind each other who we are when we gather. Ask yourself this question. What would grace look like if you didn't know what grace looked like in a relationship? What is love if it doesn't go back and forth between people? What is forgiveness if you don't actually have to do it with someone, release someone from the prison of your resentment? None of this stuff makes sense outside of relationships and community. Here's the bottom line. God meets us in our relationships. He designed us to crave it, and nobody gets a pass, and it drives us into community, and he meets us in that place. Our inner faith drives us into those outer spaces where others can be the skin and the flesh of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be called the body of Christ? That's what it means to be called the body of Christ. Yeah, you say, Pastor, you don't get it. My relationships are a mess. I'm not finding God there. They're full of awkward and incomplete conversations. They're careening towards confrontations that I don't want to have. My relationships are full of unfulfilled expectations. Here's the bad news. What you are seeking is already in front of you. If you're lonely, now listen to me. I'm just going to go ahead and say some things you're thinking already. If you're lonely, changing churches won't fix it. Well, I just didn't connect there. Let me tell you what. You're going to get to the next place, and you're going to find yourself sitting right there with yourself, struggling to connect again. Change of venue doesn't fix it. Loneliness isn't solved that way. Changing churches doesn't fix it. If you need to find another church, let us bless you and send you with the greatest blessing of the house, but don't go because you think that all of a sudden it's going to magically feel like you're connected. Connection is the work that you have to do. Changing partners, married folk, won't solve this. Hate this, hate this bad news for some of you guys who are struggling, but changing partners will not solve your loneliness. If you feel isolated, alone, misunderstood, a brand new group of colleagues only presents you with a new place to face yourself. It's not a solve. It's not a solution. I don't want us to be fooled into thinking a change of venue is the answer. There's no easy road to being understood Life-sustaining relationships are not the result of good chemistry, things held in common, or just the ability to see the world the same way. Life-sustaining relationships are the result of tons of difficult and awkward heavy lifting. It's always full of risk, honesty, transparency, vulnerability, and good old-fashioned hard work, Larry King. That's what it's made of. I don't know why I thought of Larry King when I said good old-fashioned. I was thinking more of the word good than old. <laughs> There's no easy route. There's no easy way. There's no easy path. Let me get to the point. Here's what I think about us, about you and about me. For the most part, we're doing the best we can in our relationships, and yet we all still deal with this pervasive, acute sense of loneliness. And what you need isn't more information. What you need is courage. Specifically, you need new ways of understanding where we keep getting hung up on the rocks in our relationships. We need to acquire a new language system that helps us articulate to those we love where we're fragile and what we need. Not in accusatory, blaming ways, but in ways of saying, here's who I am and here's what I need. Here's what I need from you right now. If we go down this path, it's gonna all fall out because I'm feeling super, super fragile in this conversation for the following reasons. A new language system, that's what we need. And these safe spaces are only built by fiercely committed people. 
And that's the work we have to do. We've started calling this unity. This is actually the vision of the New Testament church. Not unanimity. That's a myth. It's called unity. We know it's immediately a myth because the first thing the church does is bleed across the Jewish-Gentile lines. And everybody's panicked because now what are we going to do? Because we're not unanimous now. Paul crosses over. He's the trained Jewish teacher. Peter stays back. He's the fisherman. They can't understand each other. There's broken communication going on between immediately the people who walked the earth with Jesus immediately see the hope of unanimity just vanish in thin air. There's a higher ideal. It's called unity. Here's what we know about it. Get ready. It's tough times. It's difficulty. It's disagreements that present us with the opportunity to actually build relationships that can last. It's the difficult struggles that deepen the chance of us actually being in connection. The Lord's answer to your prayer, make us one Lord, to my prayer, make us one Lord, is challenge, loss, difficulty, storms, shipwrecks, suffering, and pain. That's the answer. That's the bad news. Essentially, to pray for deep and soul-sustaining relationships, and some of us do this all the time, is essentially to pray for the opportunities to face trouble and stay present and find language that externalizes the inner issues going on in our heart. That's the ancient prayer answer to the age-old prayer. Lord, please send me someone that I may not feel so lonely. Send someone to be my companion. So many of us have prayed this. Our answer is right in front of us. And this is almost always the case with God. But as always, it'll take some adjustment to accept what's in front of us as the answer that we seek. Here's how the sequence generally goes, if if it's going well. We take the risk to step out of ourselves into relationship, and almost immediately our relationships experience difficulty. Then if we can respond with convicted presence and stay in the game, and if we can find some language to talk about where we're weak and we're imploding on the inside and how we need each other and need to face each other, then what results is real life and real relationships. So accept that gift of difficulty. (laughs) See how you're going to manage that. Don't deny it. Don't run. Don't hide. Don't think that it means you're doing something wrong. To quote Alex, a friend of mine, he says, if it's smooth sailing, you're not doing it right. Know that it's going to be hard and awkward. And when it gets tough, stay in the game. Even when it means facing the terror of potentially offending your, your friend or your other, this other person in your relationship. Show up. Stay in the game. The clear air of a good relationship is staying present through difficulty. It's owning our junk. And it's staying close even in those tough times. Let's look at a couple of stories from Jesus' inner circle. It would have been fun to watch him preach. It would have been super interesting to see him hang with the 12, but it would have been really amazing to watch him interact with the three. You know the three I'm talking about. Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. Surely, if we're looking for some kind of rubric for how to do relationships, we might find it in Jesus' inner circle. Who were the three that were with him in the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John. Who were with him in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was sacrificed on a cross? Okay, so let's take a look. I love this because this is, this is a self-inflicted wound that the sons of thun- thunder manage. Uh, in your scriptures in Mark, uh, book of Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Now imagine if you think you're clumsy in relationships, hold space for these two cats. This is pretty fun stuff. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want, to do, want you to do, us, do for us whatever we ask. Don't you love that? Give us a blank check. We'll tell you what it costs later. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. 
And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can. That's the only answer, right? Of course we can. We've counted the cost. They answered, Jesus says to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right and at my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now watch what Jesus does next. Think of the actual mechanics of this conversation, okay? Who's standing where? Just keep that in mind. When the 10 heard this, apparently they weren't too far away. I love this. They became indignant. You know what that word means in Greek? Indignant. That's what it means. With James and John. That's what a degree will will get you there. They became indignant with James and John. And Jesus calls them together. He's got a little relational triage to do here. Calls them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, Jesus says. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now let's talk about that. You talk about an awkward moment. You talk about miscalculating the distance between who you're talking about and what you're saying. Do you ever do that, right? Talking about the waiter and he walks up behind you. Nobody's ever done that. That's only me. You think that door means your kids can't hear? (laughs) You talk about an awkward moment. Can you imagine these two going to Jesus and saying, all right, here's the deal. We want to be the number one and number two most important people in your glory. And Jesus' gentle response is to gather them all and squelch the rumor before it becomes steely knives because the other ten are just going to have it out with these guys. He pulls them all together and he says, listen, I've said this before, I'll say it again. The only way forward is to serve. Nobody gets to decide what their, their role in glory. It's a vulnerable little exchange, isn't it? Here's what I'm interested in. This is the same John who would eventually become known as the great apostle of love. His final words to the church, he's the final apostle to die. For whatever reason, he's the one who outlives the rest. And he pens some very profound stuff in his, in his waning years, in his waning days. And it all revolves around love. And let's just remind ourselves, this is the one who said, I'm better than the rest. I want to be at your right hand. This is the one who he and his brother at one point asked Jesus to his face, shall we call down lightning from heaven to just annihilate the Samaritans who are lacking in hospitality to you? Jesus says, you have not a clue what this is all about yet. So think of this. Think of the awkward, vulnerable things they encounter together and think of moving this son of thunder nickname for that calling down thunder from heaven to kill Jesus' opponents. Think of moving from that to this apostle who will die in exile, reflecting on the only movement of the gospel, which is love. You talk about relationships that weather the storm. What a beautiful example. Through relationships with Jesus, these guys are literally remade. And if you know the story of Peter, the other third part of that inner circle, you know that he doesn't escape the same kind of thing. This might be what we love most about Peter, is he's got a big mouth that fits his foot in it, and he's so human. Of all my favorite scenes, I think John 21 is my favorite with Peter and Jesus. You know the story Jesus, it goes down in Jerusalem just like he promises, and everybody freaks out, and they lock the door. They don't know what to do. 
He, they see him as a resurrected body, but they can't figure out how to carry on. Peter says, you know what I'm going to do? Let's go fishing. Let's make some money. Let's go back to what we know. He gathers a group, and they get their boats, and they head out. And all night long, they do the family trade, and they catch nothing. And a voice from the shore says, hey, genius, drop it on the other side of the boat, which was probably four feet wide, which meant absolutely nothing to the fish, except that obedience to Jesus is everything in the world. They drop the, the net on the other side. They haul in almost too many fish to carry. And, Jesus, and Peter jumps in the water and swims to shore. And he has this little encounter with Jesus. Now think about this awkward moment. The chosen leader, the heir apparent, goes a belly flop in front of the entire onlooking world. He's got some work to do with Jesus. He's got, he's got a gap to manage. And this is the exchange. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, oh, by the way, Jesus cooked fish for him. How's that for humility? When they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. I'm already hurt just reading it. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, probably in earshot of others. Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's fascinating that the night before Jesus was crucified, it's Peter who stands up and says, over my dead body, you will not wash my feet. Servanthood had not yet found good soil in the heart and in the life of Peter. He cuts off the ear of someone who came to arrest Jesus. He's too chicken to follow too close as they haul him in front of the Sanhedrin and he's only picked up by a child who recognizes his accent that places him in the inner circle of Jesus. Otherwise, he's incognito. He's off the clock. Nobody knows who this Peter is. He's too chicken to follow too tight. This is the one who three times before the cock crowed said, I do not know the man. And in the most awkward and strange and rare of occasions, Jesus gets right up in there and says, let's have this out. And with great simplicity and great gentleness, he says, it's about loving my sheep. It's about loving my people. It's not about glory. It's not about fame. It's not about being someone. It's about doing the hard and stinky work of loving people. Jesus doesn't avoid the awkward spaces with Peter. He finds him on the beach, the beach of his own disappointment and failure. And he gently redirects him to love and to service. Jesus speaks to people where they're fragile. He addresses those things. See, Peter was fragile in the area of his leadership, wasn't he? Wasn't a very good leader, and he knew they all knew it. James and John weren't very humble, were they? They weren't very humble. They wanted to be the big guy, and Jesus says it's about being the slave, being the servant, being last in line. He touches on that fragile place. Here's the catch. Relationships aren't easy. Even being in relationship to Jesus wasn't easy. I wonder if we recover that often as we study the word. How awkward it must have been to be in presence with someone who would say anything because he knew where you were fragile. He knew where we were fragile. Relationships aren't good or bad. They're made brick on brick, stone on stone. One awkward, honest conversation at a time. So as we wrap this up, here's my question. How are your relationships doing? 
when you encounter difficulty, are you powering into the awkwardness? Or are you backing out saying somehow I'm getting it wrong? Everybody else must have perfect chemistry and it's just me. Are you powering into those hard conversations with great risk of loss? Are you showing up for yourself and saying, here's, here's what I need. Here's where I'm weak. Here's where I'm fragile. Are you keeping the air clear? You know the difference between clear air and not clear air. Are you pulling away out of fear of loss? Chances are, if you are, it's because you're, touched, you're, you're, you're bumping up against something that, that, that can break with too much pressure. Have you figured out why? Have you found out ways to have those conversation, conversations? It's not easy work, but remember, the answers are right in front of us. I'm willing to go this far and say, if you're lonely, it's because you've not accessed what you have right in front of you. And that's hard to say, and I don't mean to say that in a condemning way, as if I've got it all figured out. Please don't hear that. I've got a long way to go in this area. But if you're lonely and you're suffering alone, you've not accessed what you have right within arm's reach. And that's the answer that we seek. What's the gospel for us today, church? Here it is. Everything you need to be complete and to be in soul-sustaining relationship has been graciously and carefully provided for you already. Everything. Everything you need. You say, but you don't know my life. Everything you need has been carefully and graciously provided for you already. You don't need something you don't have. You don't need someone you don't have access to. You need courage to accept that, that, what's already right in front of you. Remember, where people do the hard work of showing up is sacred and holy ground. I think it's always been that way. I don't think that's ever changed. Where people truly presence each other is where God hangs out. That's where God infuses the air. That's where he can be found. Jonathan said it a couple weeks ago. Talked about the road to Emmaus. Those honest, open, vulnerable conversations talking about our disappointments and how we thought it was going to go and how it didn't. Jesus pops up there. He shows up there. He ends up in that space where we break bread. He ends up at the table with us. He ends up in those human spaces. Everything we need, everything we need is right there. We just have to commit to do the work. Band, why don't you join me? Church, why don't you stand to your feet? I wish for our sakes it was easier I wish for your sake it would really just be about get, having the right person in your life and then everything would be fixed. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. But it just isn't. It's all hard work. It never lets up. And I think that's by design. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we ask you to Quicken our hearts, quicken our minds, even in this moment, to conversations that may need to have, we, may, we may need to have, to uh, broken places that we might need to power into, to confrontations that, although we hate them, we may need to actually initiate, to conversations that we may need to take the risk to have. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to do that, Father, knowing that you've promised to meet us in that place. Even when we unveil the true desires of our heart, however unholy or however selfish they may be, you deal with us gently. You restore us gently. 
you lead us back gently. Help us not be afraid. In your name we pray. Amen.